Hello and welcome to InspireMeTodayRadio.com. I'm your host, Gail Lynn Goodwin. We all know what the yin-yang symbol looks like, right? For those that may not, it's a swirl with one half dark, one half light, and with a dark dot in the light portion and a light spot in the dark. And just like the yin-yang, our lives are full of light and dark, or polarities like hot and cold, open, closed, happy, sad. We strive to live in the light and resist our moments in the dark, even though, like the yin-yang, life is a balance of both. Today's luminary is an author and a counselor whose powerful awakening set her on the path to changing her relationship with challenges in life and freeing herself from a lifelong struggle with darkness. She's a teacher, an inspirational speaker, and she is committed to helping people heal their inner wars so that they can become part of healing our planet. Her name is Mary O'Malley, and she's here today to talk with us about the light inside the dark. Mary, we are so honored. Thank you for joining us here today at InspireMeToday.com. You are welcome, and I am honored, too. Well, I want to start at the beginning. Tell me the, the Reader's Digest condensed version, if you will. How did you get to be doing the work you're doing in this world? Mm-hmm. Mainly by falling into darkness and uh, going into it so deeply that I almost didn't survive it. And this was, uh, I started that downward descent probably when I was very early, uh, very young, but, uh, but really uh, went down into the deepest places in my early 20s. And everybody had tried to fix me. And what you hear when people try to fix you all you hear is there is something wrong with you. And so it nobody ever met me right where I was at until I was 27. And I, uh, my mother had a weekend of yoga that she couldn't go to, so she gave it to me. And I should say very grumpily, I went, and uh, not expecting much, but this was an amazing teacher. And he was the first person that came into my life that, with a message that says, there's nothing that needs to be fixed, changed, rearranged, gotten rid of, or risen above. In fact, there's nothing wrong with you. And that was such a uh, uh, novel message in my life. It felt like my life went from a... B-grade, black-and-white, grainy horror movie to a Dolby surround sound, Technicolor Panavision <laughs> movie. But Excellent. I would walk out of the room, and I couldn't hold on to it, you know. But well, that, that was my next question to you is, how did you bring it home with you? How did you integrate it into your life? Yeah. The first thing I did was he lived in California. I live in the Northwest. And he came up, oh, I probably saw him four times. And... The uh, second time I saw him, I took in a reel-to-reel tape deck, dates me a bit here, and recorded the whole thing and brought it home and transcribed every single word. And when my house and store burnt to the ground, I lost everything. And that notebook is what I grieved because it carried something that, that was still elusive to me unless I read the book because I was so steeped in struggle, so steeped in the mind that felt like I needed to be different than what I was. And so the last time he came, I went to him and said, um, 
what uh, uh, this is the Reader's Digest version of what I'm getting from you, and am I on the right track? And I said to him, in the seeing is the movement. And he said, yes. And what he meant by that is, as long as you are in that mind that thinks that things need to be different than what it is, you are lost in the world of struggle. We don't need to fix anything, but we need to be able to see this world of struggle. And so he was the first person that taught me about consciousness, about the ability to bring consciousness to my unconsciousness. But he did not teach it with heart. And so it wasn't until a number of years later I had the good, good grace, wonderful grace to meet a man called Stephen Levine, who has written many books on death and dying, but really, truly uh, uh, writes books uh, and did workshops he no longer teaches about how to be truly alive. And his definition of healing is when all of this began to come together. I had seen consciousness, but I was still judging myself for not doing it good enough or right enough. Right. And Stephen's definition is healing is bringing awareness and mercy into that which we held in judgment and in fear. Talk to us a little bit, Mary, about your yin-yang and the light into the darkness. Uh, yes. Yeah, if people want this more fully, the, I, I think my December newsletter, it, it, a lot of people have have contacted me about how much it touches them because here is this yin-yang symbol of dark how every single atom in this universe has a positive and negative charge. We have day, we have night, we have male, we have female, we have you know winter, we have summer. And the amazing thing about this yin-yang symbol is that they, they are not, there's not a line that separates them. So light is over here and dark is over there. They literally are nestled together. And so what has happened, because we're still very young as a species, and, uh, and so we have uh, gotten this amazing tool called the frontal lobe that it took the universe 13.7 billion years to figure <laughs> out how to make. And we're very young. It's, it's almost like a toy. Sure. And when, uh, when you are caught in the unconscious mind, it is made out of good, bad, right, wrong, I like this, I don't like that. And that is our suffering, that we are lost in that world. And so if we go to the yin-yang symbol, what we have done is that we have only focused on the light. We have tried to get to the light and leave the dark behind, which is leaving half of life out. And so in the dark side is a point of light. Wow, so important to see that. And in the light is a point of dark. So light, life is saying through the yin-yang symbol, you know, if you stay just in the light, you will go into the dark or try to stay in the light. You know, if you 
begin to open to the dark, you'll find that there is always a doorway in the great challenges of our lives. They are not here because we have done something wrong, we missed the boat, uh, we're being punished, God fell asleep on the job. Our challenges always come bearing gifts. And for most people, the challenges, whether it's illness or compulsion or, you know, major uh, screw-ups at work or financial or relationship, our dark has become like a bear. And if you uh, backpack here in the Northwest, you're trained about bears. That if you come across a bear in the woods, if you turn and run away, the bear will run after you. So most of us don't know how to turn and be with the difficult aspects of our life and gather the gifts that are there. And so it's a very, very novel concept that maybe I am a mix of dark and light, and that's okay. Mary, how does fear tie into this? And the reason I'm asking is so many of our audience our community have written to us and they'll say things like, yes. I've got this great idea for a new business, but I'm afraid, or I want to leave yes. my husband, or I'm afraid. I want to move to yes, Seattle, yes. but I'm afraid. And yes, it seems yes. to be the underlying thing that stops people in yes. their tracks. Yes. Let me go to my latest book, What's in the Way is the Way. It starts with this beautiful little metaphor. Imagine a gorgeous meadow. And, oh, my goodness, wildflowers and bunny rabbits and noble furs and babbling brooks. And it's just beauty personified. There's nothing in that meadow that resists life. The plants don't resist winter. The animals don't resist death. The fir tree doesn't wish it was a maple tree. Okay? So all of us were born into that meadow. We were born out of that meadow, actually from the meadow, and we lived in that meadow when we were very young. And the amazing thing is to take a moment and realize at one time, there were no thoughts in your head. That's just mind-boggling in itself. Isn't it? Yeah, we just take that in. So we had no self-image. So we didn't think about life. We were life. Okay, But then as we grew up, and most of our parents, even if they loved us, are still unconscious, which means that they have left themselves and they're living an idea of what they should be. And they got that from their parents and they got that from their parents, so on and so forth. And so we all receive what I call sacred wounds when we were young. And the two core sacred wounds are abandonment and invasion. So we go back to the meadow and imagine the clouds that, you know, sometimes they would, you know, be no clouds. Sometimes the clouds would be passing through. Sometimes the clouds would come and, you know, uh, be close down there to the meadow, but then it would leave. But what happened for us as we were growing up, the clouds of struggle began to get lower and lower and they began to swirl around our head. And the important thing to recognize is we've never left the meadow. (laughs) 
we just think we have. And trying to get back to the meadow is just more struggle. So this is why the title of the book is What's in the Way is the Way. Because the way you come back to the meadow is beginning to get to know your brand of struggle, your clouds that keep you separate from life. Turning to face the bear rather than running away. Exactly. And not being afraid of the bear anymore. Even though you may feel fear, you begin to understand the bear holds a gift for you. The bear has always... The bear has always been my totem, Mary, so this is especially oh poignant for me in yes. that I live in inside Glacier National Park in northwestern yes. Montana, so we yes. have wildlife every day as a part of life, and yes. I know fully well that when you meet a grizzly in the woods, you don't yes. look it in the eye, but neither yes. do you look away from it. You look down exactly. to the side, and you talk in a very loving, kind, yes. gentle voice yes. while you slowly back away. That's it. I never looked at when a challenge comes up, if you look at it in a kind, loving, nurturing way. I never saw that connection, the metaphor of it being a bear. Yes, I've heard life's a bear, but not in that context. So that's brilliant, and I thank you for that, because now I will take that with me, and I'm not afraid of bears. And people say, how can you walk these woods and not be afraid of grizzlies? I have a picture. I actually was chairman of the board of an organization called the Vital Ground Foundation, and their founder raised bears and and, uh, trained bears. Bart the bear was one of his bears. And I actually have a picture of a grizzly bear licking my cheek. Ah, yes. And that, to me, is it takes all the fear away when you realize it it doesn't mean to harm you. And I imagine the same is with those dark spots, those dark moments. They're not there to harm you. They're there for my growth. They're there for my blessing. Absolutely. And I have the right to speak this because I took on so much darkness that I almost died of it many times. So, So I have not just had this wonderful life. And as I learned how to turn towards in curiosity and compassion then the clouds began to lift. And, and if you look at all the great myths of the word, world, the hero or the heroine does not find the holy grail or the magic wand or the magic sword sitting down by the side of the trail. You have to go to the, you have to go <laughs> get the, you know, it's three hairs off the, off the <laughs> wild boar and yes, and of bring course. it to the witch of the west, you know, up on the mountain. They're all trying to say to us what the yin-yang symbol is saying. Darkness, difficulties, challenges are not what they look like on the surface. But we've been taught to run away. And so that's why What's in the Way is my fourth book. But all my books are really, truly about how to show up for the life that is showing up for you. That great river. Go back to the meadow. It is a great river of creativity, life. And what we are homesick for is to come back and enter the flow of life. But we are afraid of the challenges, and as we turn towards them, they open doors. And so what you discover is that 
as you begin to look and and uh you oftentimes look you know like with your head turned away and one eye kind of cracked mm-hmm. just a little bit you know and maybe sure. with even fingers over your eyes and just kind of separate your fingers a little bit but that's why you know I do groups and retreats and things like that so people can hang out with other people that are doing what I call look to unhook and in what well, one of the things that we did in the Hawaii retreat was that um we had a morning where we talked about fear and about how fear is the core building block of this cloud bank of struggle, of this self-image. And then that is glued together with judgment. And so we spent a morning just, and, and people got, oh, so real, and shared, and we made a list of all these fears and one of the core things that came out of that is all those people at that retreat began to understand everybody is run by fear. They just don't see it. And most of the fears are not even the ones you're talking about, I want to move to Seattle or, you know, it's these just chronic low-grade fears of this unsettledness because our hair doesn't look quite good today you know, or the length of the stoplight is too long. But it is a phenomenal moment in awaking when you begin to be able to say, oh, that's fear. And there's a title of a chapter in the new book called Fear, Nothing to be Afraid of. (laughs) I love it. It takes me to your quote. I'm going to read this and then have you talk a little bit about this. Life is set up to bring up what has been bound up so it can open up to be freed up so you can show up for life. Yeah. I love it. I just got chills hearing it. So, you know, I wrote it. (laughs) (laughs) Although I I wouldn't say I wrote it. I mean, that I was just sitting down one day and, and, I I don't consider myself an author. I consider myself a scribe, you know, and I just say, okay, life, what do you want to say today? And that's what happens the more you come back and recognize that the meadow is here, that you are a part of a, yeah, that you never left, that you are an essential and necessary part of a great creative flow of life that has been going on for 13.7 billion years and it seems like where evolution is right now, Jonas Salk said this, it's happening in consciousness. It's been happening for millions of years in biology. But now it is happening in consciousness. And it seems, if you look at the evening news, you know, you would see we're addicted to struggle that we are at such a young stage in our evolution that we have crawled into this world of struggle that's made out of fear and glued together with judgment. And I think it was Eckhart Tolle that said, in the 20th century, we killed 180 million of our fellow human beings in the name of war. Hmm. So to me, if you really see life as this unfolding process and you see that evolution is not this thing we look back in the past about, but it is really happening right now, you would see that we have all taken on this 
I sometimes call it the self that feels separate. I sometimes call it the storyteller in our heads. We have taken on this belief in separation that its flavor is struggle. And it seems to be just like when it is everything in life casts a shadow and it seems like we are we have taken on this shadow aspect of consciousness which i call the unconsciousness so it can define the light for us when you begin to see that you realize your life is for you you realize that there are no accident who's your next door neighbor what your cat is like what boss you have what kind of body you have what kind of mind you have what kind of shape of body you have um, you begin to see that life is what I love to call the flawless, methodical madness. You wake up every morning with a knowing that you are on this grand adventure and only one of two things will happen today. The first is life will invite you into this living moment which is the only moment that matters in all of evolution because this is the only moment where life is happening. And that is how our planet is being healed now. More and more moments, people are coming back to the meadow, to the great flow of life, which includes the easy and the difficult. Or wow. I love it. life will put you in situations to help you see what you took on that makes up your cloud bank. So an example out of my life, I, I grew up in, in, I think the best way to say it is I wouldn't wish my childhood on anyone. Hmm. And the main feeling that I took out of that was dread. And I like to describe my childhood as feeling tone as imagine being in a completely sealed phone booth so it's a very cramped space, and water is coming in, and it's coming up, and it's getting higher and higher, and it comes up right to your nose, and then it goes down again. That's the best way for me to describe the core feeling, that, which I call dread, which caused me to gain 97 pounds in a year once, become a drug addict, become an alcoholic, go into mental hospitals. And then this first teacher said, look, you don't need to fix this, just look. And then when Stephen Levine came into my life and I could look with great mercy at this dread that had formed and shaped my life, both taking me down into deep darkness, but also um, to invite me into consciousness because the only thing that works with heavy states like that is the ability to see and be with them, not fix them, not change them. And so as I learned how to be with this dread, not thinking about it, not managing it, not doing positive thinking, but actually be with the bound-up energy in my body, and life is set up to bring up what has been bound up, and this is where my joy was bound up, was in dread. And as I learned how to stand with it, and you know all my books are about this at some level, mm -hmm. it opened up. 
because the interesting thing is that these bound up states are just like you and I. If somebody dislikes us or is ashamed of us or wants to get rid of us or or tries to get away from us, it makes us feel horrible. If somebody listens to us, the bound up energy is set free. And as I found the support and the courage to turn towards and set dread free, it turned into a deep and abiding trust of life. That's beautiful. Yeah. Wow. Mary, let me ask you this. How do you stay present? How do you keep these principles as such an integral part of your life when life comes at you at, you know, a thousand miles an hour. In other words, do you have specific steps or practices or routines or rituals that you do each and every day that keep you yes. on track? Yes. Would you share I, Yes. I sit every morning. Now, I'm really trying not to use the word meditation because meditation is like the word God. You know, it has so many different meanings and Meditation has gotten to be a have-to in a lot of people's lives. And as soon as you have to yourself on anything, you're going to create an equal and opposite resistance inside of you. Mm -hmm. So then people feel, you know, judgment and shame and everything that they're not doing what they should be doing. But I invite people into what I call a curiosity practice. Or sometimes I call it a listening practice, a returning practice. Who does, does not have five minutes a day where they will sit down, find their breath for just a few breaths? And there's, in all my books, there's, there's information. I also have a wonderful two-part CD on, on uh, the breath class I did for many years at our local hospital. So breath is a very essential part of it, but not in the old way. It really is in discovering how to be inside your breath, to be rocked by your breath, to let go to your breath. And as you find that kind of safety that you're now coming back to yourself, you are discovering how to embody yourself again, then you begin to become curious about what takes you away. Because you'll notice that when you do just a tiny bit of breath practice, oh my God, it feels so good. <laughs> but if you sit for five minutes or so, then you'll find your mind starting to be worried about, you know, oh, did I do the thing at work and will my boss be mad, you know, you sure. know, when I uh, show it up or, oh, my God, my waistband is tight. Oh, my God, maybe I should change clothes. You can see how the struggling self has taken over again. Breath can take you to the meadow. and There's many different ways to work with breath. It can remind you of the meadow, but it also becomes a sanctuary for allowing you begin to get to know this struggling self. It takes a little bit to get over the hump of being afraid of the dark within you, because that's why we don't sit every day. We're afraid of what's going to show up. But if you can get that kind of support, 
that reminds you that life is set up to bring up what's been bound up so it can open up to be freed up. Then you begin to find a team of wild horses couldn't keep you away from giving yourself 5, 10, 15, 20, however long in the morning. And then you begin to uh, discover the power of asking questions without looking for an answer. And so we usually use our mind to try to do anything. Your mind cannot be the guide in awakening. Awakening is something that lives beyond the mind. And so you begin to get to know the struggling self. You begin to see that there's nothing that needs to be fixed, changed, or rearranged. And then you begin to become the question, what am I ready to see here? There's a challenge coming What is asking to be met inside of me? Or what is the way through this? I discovered this. Remember, I gained 97 pounds in a year, and that was after having gained and lost and gained and lost hundreds of pounds. So I wrote a book called The Gift of Our Compulsions because compulsions became my benevolent and loving teacher. They were no longer the enemy. They were not something I had done wrong. They were not something that needed to be controlled, fixed, changed, or rearranged because the statistics show that if you try to control your compulsions, they control you. And so I began to realize everything I had done didn't work. So I decided to get curious. And this wasn't until I met Stephen. And I began to become curious, and it was just amazing. I could only usually do it after a wave passed through. But I could say, rather than judgment, going, oh, my God, I did it again. You know, I could say, okay, life, what are you showing me here? What am I ready to see? And slowly and surely, I discovered how to take care of what the compulsions have been taking care of. Mary, when you say the power of your mind, where you ask the question without looking for answers. Exactly. So, in other words, you ask the question, you don't look for the answer, but you right. keep your mind open for the answers to show up? Exactly. Okay. You become the question. The power is in the question. It's not in finding the answer. I love to say, you know, if we're all heroes and heroines on our journey, you know, and, and usually in most of the great myths, um, there is a, you know, you find the, you know, the wise woman that lives in the hut by the edge of the swamp and she gives you this talisman to live, you know, put around your neck or she gives you this magic whatever. Our magic is questions without looking for the answer. There is so much support that is waiting for us. This is an intelligent process. Life is an intelligent process. And we narrow it down by going to our heads, which is like one cylinder of a 12-cylinder car, and trying to find the answer there. You discover how to be the question. And what happens is you live the answer. I love it. Mary, this has been a delightful interview so far. I want to make sure that our listeners, you guys know this already, but I'm going to reiterate it again. Go on back to inspiremetoday.com. 
go to the search box with the luminaries, put in Mary O'Malley, and there you will find the links to purchase any of Mary's books, also her meditation CD information, just any of the information that she has to offer, we will give her the opportunity to post on that page for you. Also, you'll find her quote, Her Today's Brilliance, which is so worth reading. Definitely go check that out. And uh, Mary, just thank you again. I appreciate the insights that you've shared with our listeners. You've said, I've got, I mean, I'm the interviewer and I have a page of notes in front of me (laughs) of things that you've said to me that I greatly appreciate. My one question that I always ask all of our luminaries is, if you were to summarize your greatest wisdom just into a few sentences, a paragraph, what have you learned that you'd want to pass on to others right here, right now? That we are the meadow. And the meadow has never left us. And we are not bad or wrong for taking on this struggling self and thinking it was us. And may each one of us find the courage, and the root word for courage is a French word that means big heart. May each one of us find the courage to turn towards rather than turn away so that we can discover life is bringing us step by step back into ourselves, back into our lives, and back into this moment, which is our home. Wow. I know my biggest takeaway is going to be the metaphor that you used with the bear. Yes. Me personally, that was powerful. Everything you've said here today has been, and I really appreciate it. Mary, my final question for you. If you had just one more thing that you could accomplish or experience in your lifetime, what would it be? To see this kind of view, this kind of perspective, travel like a wave across this planet. I can see it. You know, I see, imagine myself sitting up here in the Northwest and it is, it is, I mean, more and more people are coming into this kind of work and that I choose for the rest of my life to be a open channel for people remembering who they truly are. Because love is, that is the truth. Love is. I'm sitting here in my bedroom and looking out at a very gray northwest day and all the trees have little uh, diamonds all over them because of the, the water and, uh, and the rain. And everything I am looking at, the clouds, the trees, the grass, is all made out of love. And that's what we are remembering together today. Excellent. I will listen to this interview again, and I cannot wait to read your book, which is now on my Kindle. So thank you for that, and thank you again for just spending the time and opening your heart and sharing your wisdom at the level that you have, Mary. Thank you. It was a pleasure, Gail. Thank you. Well, I greatly appreciate it. And to our listeners, thank you as well. You guys have lots to do in your day. And I want to personally thank you for spending part of your day with us. Come on back again next week. We'll bring you inspiration from another incredible luminary. And until then, remember, it's only when you have the courage to step off the ledge that you'll realize you've had wings all along. You're still in the meadow.
We love you. We're here for you. We'll see you again tomorrow. And thank you again for stopping by.